Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're going to debunk exposure therapy, i.e. why facing your fears doesn't really work. If it did work, then I don't think that anybody would have the anxiety problems that we see. I mean, you know, you just pick up any self-help book, psychology book, therapy book, whatever. They're all going to say the same thing about anxiety and fear and and how to uh, overcome that fear is you need to confront it. You, you, you know, you really need to face it head on. Yet we're still riddled with anxiety. I think that's because when people face their fears, they're not really facing their fear. They're facing a symptom of their fear. And that's why simply exposure therapy doesn't really work. It can work. It depends on what you focus on. We're not really going to debunk exposure therapy, but just get it to its right size. It's not the BL end all. The, you know, well, it is in a certain context, but first you need to understand what you're really afraid of. Joinanimous.com slash schedule if you want to do a consultation. Uh, just, you know, just reach out to me. Talk to me about what's going on. I'm available for that. Okay, so the outline. First, we're going to go into context. Why am I even talking about this in the first place? Exposure therapy and, um, you know, where this presentation is coming from in a sense. Then we'll go to exposure therapy and talk about that to find what it is. Problems with exposure therapy will be next. That's going to be the longest section, of course. <laughs> and examples on how to really manage certain issues like road rage, snakes, fear of flying, fear of women, fear of heights. And then we'll conclude everything, sum it up in a nice little way. Okay, so context. What are we even talking about here? Well, I tweeted something like, yeah, and the tweet's in the next slide. So the problem with men is that there's too much focus on what you should do, not enough focus on what you need to do. This is something I've noticed for a long time now. There's a surfeit of discipline and hard work. You know, guys like Jocko Willink and, um, you know, whoever else I complain about here, they tell you that you need to discipline and need to work hard, stay hard, all that stuff. Uh, that's not the problem with men. I mean, have you ever actually talked to a guy a guy has problems because he's worked too hard. He's been too disciplined on the wrong things. He thinks that his, uh, yeah, right. So we're not lazy. I, I don't think laziness is an issue. We're just lost. We're just confused. We don't really know what to be disciplined. You can't be disciplined about everything. That's silly. You can't work hard on everything. That's silly. You need to focus on what to be disciplined on and what to work hard on. And you need to be focused. If you have anxiety, it, um, you need to be focused on exactly what you need to, to look at when it comes to that anxiety. And here's the tweet. Found it. Uh, no, actually a, a listener found it, but, um, yeah, right. I mean, look, all my uh, all the images that I put on these tweets that they they're relevant. I don't, you know, maybe they seem a little bit uh disjointed, disconnected at times, but trust me, they're all totally relevant and this this image uh this picture is from Star Trek the Apple. And you have uh a, a population on this planet, a bunch of problems. One of those problems is they're not dating. They're, these people are not dating, they're not having sex, they're not getting married, they're not having children. What do they need? A dating coach? 
maybe, maybe that would help. But ultimately what they need is they need to defeat the thing that they think is the God outside of themselves. Right. There is something they need to confront before they confront everything else. There's all these problems in this humanoid population on this planet. And you can do a laundry list of all of them. And you can do behavior therapy and exposure therapy on each one. But until you defeat the false god, the false idol, then they're not going to learn and grow. And this goes back to the age-old problem with most conventional modern uh, therapy slash psychology is there's an, a confusion between cause and effect. The adherence to exposure therapy, I think this is a great topic because it's an example, it's an iteration of a bigger problem. And that bigger problem is there's no perspective. Psychology is focused on incidentals, not fundamentals. There's nothing wrong factually with exposure therapy in and of itself. But if it's not the fundamental thing, then it might as well, you may as well be wrong. Right? It's the confusion of the stimulus as the cause. So we think with fear of heights, for instance. You only feel anxiety when you get close to a ledge. A ledge you could fall off of and potentially die. Oh, so you must have a fear of heights or a fear of ledges. That's the thing you need exposure to in order to overcome you know, that fear. No, the issue is with you. And when you get close to a certain stimulus, as a human, you are more likely to be afraid of. We'll talk about neurological patterns and nodes later on. Then you're going to feel afraid. It has really a very little to do. It's something to do with the ledge or the heights. But there's an issue going on with you that gets triggered by something that would be archetypally, you know, scary for you as a human. Oh, yeah. I have another example here. So same thing when a guy cheats on his wife with a secretary. We always say, oh, well, that secretary, she was younger. You know, her boobs were perky or whatever, and that's why he cheated. And that's, of course, part of the reason I would never deny that, that men are naturally going to be attracted to younger whatever woman. But the secretary is incidental. There was an issue with the guy that, of course, he is going to uh, avoid his issues. If, if he's going to come up with a reason to avoid his issues, he will choose something prettier, younger, and perkier. He's not going to choose, you know, just a, a totally seemingly random example. He's not going to choose a doorknob, for instance. He's going to choose a pretty young, younger, perkier uh, woman. So while symptom management can help, it's really not therapy. While exposure to ledges and maybe becoming more comfortable uh, climbing uh, cliff faces, that, that will help you overcome your, your, seemingly, your seeming fear of the ledge, of the heights. It's not going to help you with your issue that was triggered in the first place by the ledge, by the height. So first, okay, so exposure therapy, what is it? It's a progressive 
desensitization to a fear stimulus. It's very similar weightlifting analogy, right? It's very similar to progressive overload. How do you build a stronger legs is you introduce greater and greater loads, progressively greater loads to your legs. Your legs become used to that load and adapt. They be, you know, they become used to that load uh, in, in your muscular system, but they also, you also become used to it neurologically. Your neurological system becomes better adapted to hand, handling heavier weights. And it's the same thing with, uh, um, with exposure therapy. If a certain stimulus causes this fear response in you, what's happening biologically or neurologically is you don't have the uh, neurological strength in a sense to handle that stimulus. So one way you can build up that strength thought I heard somebody crying. It's not my case. So, but, so then you uh, is, so one way to you know to build up that strength is to uh Put yourself in situations where you can, in, you know, uh, introduce it to some kind of progressive overload. And that's what exposure therapy is about, right? It's a way to adapt your neurology. Your brain's a body. Your body's a brain. It's all the same system. And you are uh, introducing it to greater and greater load so it can adapt appropriately. There's five steps. These are the five steps I have in my book. Man's Guide to Psychology. Um, and, and this is an indication because this is something that I thought. I mean, it's, I even put it in my first book, which I think it is good that I put it in my first book. But I didn't really put it in its proper context because, you know, back in graduate school, I I was originally a CBT guy. I, you know, I looked at that stuff and I thought, oh, well, obviously this is the way you do it. But then things started to happen and I started to notice a different kind of therapy, you know, CBT CBT doesn't really work as well as you think it does. There's actually this whole, uh, you know, psychology, industrial complex, therapy, industrial complex that supports CBT. And then you realize, oh, maybe there's another way. So I, so I think it's interesting that this is in my first book as like a holdover from, you know, what I originally thought about what proper therapy is. Not everybody agrees with these five steps in this in the, in this exact order. I kind of took other people's ideas and amalgamated into this, and it's you know, knowledge, observation, visualization. Well, let's just go to example that'll make more sense. So knowledge, let's just say, yeah, we're dealing with snakes. So knowledge, you need to know that maybe a certain snake that you're going to handle is, isn't poisonous. You're not going to die. Right, you just know on some level, on you know some factual level, you're not going to die. Then you observe other people confront that fear. So you, maybe you would observe snake handlers, and the, you, you know. And there's tons of YouTube videos, and say I don't want to dissuade you from partaking in any kind of exposure therapy because you know there's tons of great YouTube videos out there. For instance, that can help you overcome whatever your fear is. And observation is, I think, a good part of that process. But, I, 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 you know, it's not going to matter unless you're focused on things that are fundamental in your psyche, ultimately. So then you visualize. 
I think visualization can be really helpful. You visualize in this example, you visualize yourself in your mind's eye handling a snake. Then you desensitize yourself to it progressively, as I said on the previous slide. So you stand in the same room as a snake. You walk towards it. There's steps to this. Um, you know, when I was in grad, grad school, in, in one particular school, my advisor did a lot of work with misophonia, which is when, you know, there's nails on a chalkboard. You know, people who have PTSD and, you know, trauma and stuff, they, they tend to act, they, they tend to have a a worse negative reaction to those kinds of discordant sounds. Um, you know, so they would play sounds for people. There would there'd be a, a way to progressively desensitize yourself to whatever the feared stimulus is. We, we all find that that sound annoying, but you know, some people just really can't handle it. Uh, and then you confront the snake, you know, then you actually face your fear, you handle the snake, and you, but you need to do it with both consistency and intensity. If you don't, if you're not consistent about it, it's not going to work. And if you don't do it in a certain way, then it's also not going to work. Like if you're just handling the snake, for instance, I mean, let's say the snake was your fundamental fear. It's not. I, I don't know you, but if you're afraid of snakes or critters or spiders or bugs or anything, you're not really afraid of that. That is a symptom. Um, but let's say you were, you couldn't just hold the snake in a way that was like, oh, I just want to get through this. Okay, I, I got to do it for 15 seconds. I'll just hold my breath and close my eyes for 15 seconds. That's not going to work. You got to do it every day, and it needs to be with the that intention, the true intention of confronting the fear. Otherwise, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so that's exposure therapy. And look, exposure therapy does work. Piles of science back it up. I was going to do a whole section on just going through meta-analysis of this, but it's silly. I, it just feels so, you know, there's Google Scholar. You can go find this stuff. It's not that difficult to find. Um, and ultimately, I mean, this is the original therapy. The original therapy is exposure therapy. That's what initiation is, is you take a young boy out and you put him in a situation where he thinks he's going to die. He's not going to die. Well, actually, he might die <laughs> in some initiation rituals. Hey, in certain indigenous, you know, hunter-gatherer tribes, they bank on the fact that they are going to weed out about 40% of the male population. Um before puberty <laughs> and then hmm, for some reason those societies tend to to work well um, or work better it's, it's not really a society I, I don't it's not a civilization but uh so yeah you put this young boy out in a in a situation where you think he's where he thinks he's going to die or you're exposing him to a fundamental fear fear of death Okay, that's a more fundamental fear. And I think that's an indication of the problem with exposure therapy is because, yeah, like even in these uh, aboriginal, you know, uh, indigenous uh, primitive tribes, they, they are able to understand that if you, if you want exposure therapy to work, it has to be a fundamental fear. It can't just be an incidental fear that you have as a result of anxiety or something else. Primitive tribes get that. They also get the distinction between men and women, between male and female. So there's some distinctions that they understand that we don't. So, okay. Uh, so what are some problems with exposure therapy? I've, I've kind of been talking about it. 
giving hints at least. So the first problem is is that there's a poor resolution. It's like I don't know. I was thinking like a, a an analogy that literally has to do with poor resolution. Okay, so it's like if you're looking at some black words on a white paper. Is this maybe this sounds stupid? But let's say you're looking at black words on a white paper, but your your eyes are unfocused, or, or you have poor eyesight, and uh, you say, "Look, that part of the the paper is black. That's where the words are. That part of the paper is white. That's where the words are not." Like, yeah, you're right, but you got to tell me what the words mean. You know, you got to put on the right pair of glasses. Uh, there's too much focus in exposure therapy on the incidentals because people come in and say, oh, I'm afraid of X, spiders. So based on the CBT model, you know, not the, the depth psychology model of, oh, maybe there's something unconscious there that's giving rise to the symptoms that you see. In this case, the fear of spiders, they go, oh, okay, you're afraid of spiders? Well, you got to confront your fears. Let's put you, um, you know, let, let's do the progressive desensitization thing with spiders. Uh, you know, very equivalent to, uh, very equivalent. It is like ibuprofen as a fever reducer. Is the fever the sickness? No, that is a symptom, and that is a helpful symptom, actually, right? Because you, you have a high fever to help kill off the virus. Taking ibuprofen to reduce the fever, yeah, that can manage the symptom, but is it really the virus? No, it's just incidental to the virus. Analogy here is any functional workouts. I think in my gym, in my gym tour, I said that's the one word you can't say in homo dojo my gym is functional and it's very similar to functional workouts so when people do something like a turkish getup, they think they're training their balance uh, but you're not training your balance you're not training your mobility what you are is you're training your ability to do this exercise and you may train your balance and mobility to the extent that it's needed for this particular exercise But this isn't necessarily training your balance and your mobility. Who would be best at the Turkish getup? I mean, if there was some Turkish getup competition, I mean, talk about like the saddest, I don't know, maybe some CrossFit event has, has, has this as like a side, as a side competition. Who would be the best at it in the world? It wouldn't be the guy who's practicing Turkish getups all day. It would be the guy who's already strong, who's already somewhat mobile, who then practices Turkish get-ups, gets better at these, and then he, he's going to be the guy who wins. Right? Another way of saying this is the Turkish get-up. It's a demonstration of strength and flexibility, but it doesn't really produce strength and flexibility. This is poor resolution on, in physical workouts, just like it's too specific, right? Just like... Uh, exposure therapy is a poor resolution in psychology and therapy. And look, if you want to get good at Turkish get-ups, that, that's fine. But, you know, guys will do Turkish get-ups and then think it'll translate into uh, hitting a baseball. Or translate into hitting harder in football. And maybe, I, I don't know. Like, oh, look, I need balance and coordination and flexibility and strength, all these things when I hit a baseball. 
So I'll train that stuff by doing a Turkish getup. No, it doesn't work that way. All right, be right back. All right, so where was I? Turkish getups, the ridiculous. I don't want to make it seem like, <laughs> I was just thinking, I don't want to make it seem like I've never done anything functional. Um, what was that? Oh, yeah, I've never done anything functional. I, I do do uh, functional workouts from time to time, but it's embarrassing. I, I don't want to talk about it. God, just leave me alone in my shame. Okay, so we're going through problems with exposure therapy. That's one. Poor resolution. Just like this is a poor resolution in uh, you know physical health. Then there's the inconsistency problem. You you know you're really not gonna fully uh, get over the fear unless you are able to confront it every day. So things like fear of flying, fear of snakes, fear of heights, this makes it difficult. It's not just gonna be some 14 day session where you progressively desensitize yourself to flying, for instance. Uh, and look, it, it can be helpful and it can get you on a plane. Like if you need to go. If you need to travel to North Carolina to go to your nephew's birthday party, it can work and it can get you on a plane to do that. Uh, but you're still going to be, yeah, like I say here, like you can fly across the country and go to your nephew's birthday party. You can get there, but you're still going to be the same guy at the party. I mean, what do you expect out of your therapy? Do you just want to show up and, and be the same guy or do you want to show up and have more fun, have uh, less resistance to uh, being visible and being transparent. Do you want to have uh, fewer of those moments where you kind of get thrown off your keel because somebody says something and triggers you? Um, yeah, well, that's kind of an exciting point. So yeah, a lot of these exposure therapy studies, like exact, they'll get you on the plane, but there's really a lack of resolution to the fear. Because you're just becoming more comfortable with one of your symptoms. You're not really resolving the fear. You're not re resolving the, the source of the fear. Which is difficult to do. What I'm trying to say it's difficult to do unless you can be consistent. Unless you can really do, do it every day. Also, the logic of exposure therapy simply doesn't work. I mean, if I say if A explains B and C explains... Oh, excuse me. If A explains B and C and... B explains C, but not A. I mean, which one of those is the right? I've got to change that. So, yeah. So to say that again, A explains B and C. And B explains C, but not A. Right? Which one of those theories is more encompassing or at least more fundamental? Of course, it's going to be A and not B. What I'm trying to say is due to its narrowness, if exposure therapy is true, then only exposure therapy would work. I mean, if, if the only way you could confront, if you could overcome a fear was by confronting whatever that specific fear was directly, then only exposure therapy would work. Yet most often, you know, all the fears that I mentioned so far, like fear of snakes, fear of flying, fear of heights, these specific fears or fear symptoms extinguish on their own. I used to bite my nails all the time. I guess this isn't 
now I'm saying it's not the best example because it's not really a fear, but it's just, but it's like, it works in that it's an instance of anxiety. I used to bite my nails in my probably later teens, early twenties, obviously when my life was the worst it's ever been. I had anxiety. Nail biting was a symptom of my anxiety. I stopped biting my nails. I never did any like, uh, I've, I've tried. I think I probably tried. I don't really remember. But I never did anything like, okay, I'm going to, you know, put like a poor tasting, that bad tasting chemical on your nails. So, you know, what happened was is I inadvertently managed other anxiety issues and then I just stopped biting my nails. Now, I mean, just to think of biting my nails, it, it seems ridiculous. I had a client say this to me one time. I, I've had several clients say something to this effect but this one in particular stood out he said something to the effect of i'm able to fly again we never worked on his fear of flying i never did any progressive desensitization never went on any of those uh fear of flying youtube simulators that if you want to try out like it right if you need to get to your nephew's birthday party i say go for it but but he never did anything like that, and he's able to get on a plane. He just didn't even think about it because we managed other more fundamental issues. So if, if exposure therapy was true in the way that they say it's true, this wouldn't happen. What exposure therapy ultimately ends in is compensation. Like, yeah, you change the specific behavior you change how your neurology reacts to a specific behavior, but if the anxiety's still there, you're going to find some other outlet for your for it. Then there's these things called notes, uh, which are pretty well researched and well understood. The problem is we don't know exactly how they're organized, so maybe I'm going off to a little bit of a limb here when I when I talk about this. But the idea is, you know, your brain comes as a circuit board that is more likely to be wired in a certain way. It's not a pile of microchips that can form in any way possible. There are specific ways, there are specific connections that your brain is more likely to make. And what nodes are, are these predetermined networks. So what, what this means is your fear is not about what it's about. You know, the guy who cheats on his wife with his secretary, it's not because she's young and perkier. He's more likely to to uh, to manifest, sorry to use that uh, Gen Z term, he's not going to manifest his symptoms, he's going to be more likely to manifest his avoidance anxiety symptoms in a younger secretary. But that doesn't mean the younger, perkier secretary is the problem. Those are two different things. Also, you are not born afraid of spiders. But if you do have anxiety, it's more likely to be about spiders. Infants are not afraid of spiders. They're not afraid of snakes. The, the only thing I think that we're really afraid of is loud noises. I don't even think we're afraid of... Um, of ledges. I, I think it's more like, yeah, like our pupils dilate, our pupils dilate, uh, you know, an infant's pupils will dilate 
when it's put in the presence of a snake, but it's, you know, people can dilate out of fear, but they can also dilate out of curiosity. I think it's just a, a, a more curious thing for the infant. It's not necessarily afraid of it. Now, what ex now, uh, you know, one instance where exposure therapy can work is if it's more of a fear allergy. So if you're put in a situation, uh, let's say you, so just an example, if you have a, a fear of uh, flying because you were in a plane crash and you could have died, right? Now you have this, you know, traumatic memory and now you're afraid of flying. Okay. Then exposure therapy can be more helpful in those situations. Like, you know, shell shock, for instance, like it was a life threatening kind of situation then it can be more helpful but uh but even then i wonder you know to what extent um it's just a outlook for your anxiety okay so now let's go through some examples of how uh how to go through this stuff how to resolve these so road rage it's not really a fear i, I mean it is a fear so you're put in a situation where uh, you're afraid because like you could be uh, hurt t potentially. But a lot of the road race situations, it's not about that. I mean, it's about people driving slow. It's about people taking your parking spot. It's not a life-threatening situation. Um, and the truth is most people are really good drivers. And I'm like, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's the joke about road rage is like, people, it's just amazing to me how good, of drivers, like, look, if, if you took people in 1900 before the invention of the automobile and, and posited this situation in which people would be in these like 4,000 pound behemoths and drive around these tanks, uh, people would probably think, oh, you would just crash into each other all the time, but that's not what happens. But you latch onto those situations in which you are threatened. Well, at least you think you're about, at least you think you're threatened, uh, but really, so it, 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 what I'm trying to say is that in my uh, perspective on this, this is mostly about resentment. The road rage triggers your resentment because it's like, You know, j just think of road rage as a dream scenario. I think I bring it up on another slide. And maybe this is the, the best way of explaining it. Th think of it as a dream situation. Like you had a dream in which you were in this car and somebody out there was driving in an erratic way that negatively affected you. And you couldn't do anything about it, right? You can just maybe get angry. And also, I think it's it's interesting that this dream now, you're in a car where it's safe for you to get angry. It's safe for you to express anger because when you express the anger, nobody else is going to hear you, which is how most road rage is. I mean, some people get out of the car and, you know, <laughs> they they keep a crescent wrench in their, uh, in their glove box and get out of the car. I've actually seen that, which was over a parking spot, by the way. When I saw that, that was over a parking spot when some guy did that. So that kind of proves my point. Um, yeah. So you're in the safe place where you're able to vent. 
are you really angry at this guy who took your parking spot? No, you're angry because this reminds you of uh, other relationships in your life where people come in and affect you outside of your awareness. Usually one of your parents when you're too young to be aware of this stuff. And like this triggers that resentment. It's anxiety or it's, it's anger. It's resentment, but it's triggered by the anxiety. And, uh, then you're likely blow up. And of course, you know, when people get rid of road rage, like how do you, I mean, if the exposure therapy worked, like how would, how would you even get over road rage? Cause you need to be consistent about it. Uh, no, you, you, you manage your resentment, you manage your resentment. And then the next time you're triggered by, I'm sure somebody striving like a jackass bothers you a lot less. Okay. So same thing with snakes and critters. It's, uh, we know it's generalized anxiety, um, which is, you know, part of the whole node, you know, neurologically uh, programmed it's generalized anxiety. Like you feel anxiety and it gets generalized to, you know, very convenient things outside of you. Otherwise info would change behavior. You just learn information and say, Oh, critters and snakes, they aren't poisonous. I'm not going to die. Yes. We are predisposed to be afraid of snakes. Uh, infant pupil dilation. I, I think something goes on here where, uh, like people don't want to talk about their fear of intimacy, which is usually what this, this fear is a manifestation of it. They don't want to talk about that, but they still need to talk about their fear. So like you can talk about spiders, right? Same thing with like your, your conspiracy theory. You don't want to talk about how you're anxious and how you live in a world that you don't really control. So you'd rather that makes you sound, well, that may be strange or socially gauche perhaps but you are able to talk about your conspiracy or, you know, whatever is going on in the government. And you may be worried about that. I think some conspiracy theories are true. Obviously some have been, uh, a bunch have been shown to be true. Uh, I'm not going to get into specifics, but you guys probably know what I'm thinking of. Um, so it doesn't mean you're wrong. So, you, you know, your conspiracy theory could be right, but it can at the same time still be an outlet for your anxiety. Same thing with snakes and critters. Fear of flying, uh, you know, the truth is it's, of course, way more dangerous to drive to the airport. Why aren't you uh, as afraid of that? Well, I think, yeah, I say there, there's some overlap between, you know, riding in the backseat of the car and the fear of flying. So it's really not the fear of flying. If that's any indication, it's uh, a fear or it's, or it's just um, a control issue. It's, it's a fear when you're put in a situation where you don't have much control. Again, if you were to have a dream that would showcase your control issue, being in the back of, you know, this steel tube flying, uh, 35,000 feet, 500 miles an hour, where, I mean, geez, I mean, to what extent is the pilot even in control anymore? You know, th these are all controlled by, I mean, like, I thought that's my thing about self-driving cars. Like you don't think self-driving cars are going to be a thing. We have self-flying airplanes and, that happened relatively recently, like in the past 20 or so years. And there's been way fewer plane crashes because of that. But that's a, an aside point. I, I don't know. They just had like self-driving taxis in San Francisco. This company released a bunch and they, there were issues. Like it didn't really work. People could just put uh, traffic cones on the hood of the car and it would, it would block the camera. It's like, 
yeah, I mean, that stuff's going to happen. But overall, I, I think there's going to be a lot fewer uh, crashes. Like, there have been a lot fewer plane crashes since planes have become self-flying. And, you know, people get over their flying all the time without any exposure to the fear of, uh, to their, uh, to the fear. And the inconsistent exposure, of course, indicates that flying really isn't the problem. Obviously, being at 35,000 feet, flying at 500 miles an hour is very strange to your brain, your, your, your human brain. So if you're going to be afraid of something, you're going to be afraid of this. But I would challenge you that, uh, work on any control issues you have by yeah, control issue. I mean, just a difficulty being okay with being in situations where you're not in control and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think the fear of flying works itself out. And then there's a fear of woman. Why would you be afraid of woman? What can one woman do to you. I mean, I understand why women be afraid of men because we can hurt you and it wouldn't be wouldn't be do too difficult. Uh although, you know, I was have a complaint about modern movies. I just watched Fast Ten and obviously it's awesome. It's uh you know, it's bad but it's good. Uh but it's mostly good. And obviously there's just a bunch of fight scenes. I mean, you guys have seen these movies where this woman, I mean, not only is it a situation where one person beats up five people at the same time, but it's one woman beating up five men at the same time. I'm thinking how many, I, I know like we're supposed to like show women and it's like super empowered and everything, but how many women are being killed now or will be killed because they see this scene and they think, Oh, I can beat up men. I don't know probably not that big of a difference but so what are you afraid of with women I, I think you're afraid of how the interaction with women will expose something about you women elicit this reaction women elicit this exposure because they're high value especially at certain times um even though with women yeah like the surf analogy it's like there's you, you miss a wave there's going to be another one clearly if you miss a wave in surfing, you don't go, oh, that means something about me. Oh, I'm this and that. Oh, I'm such a nerd. I'm such a dork. Why? Because you don't take it personally. Because a wave, according to your biology, according to how your no nodes operate and how your brain forms connections, a wave is not high value for you. It's a fun thing to ride when you can figure out how to stand up on a surfboard but that's it. A woman is much less dangerous to you physically. But especially where you are, especially when you're 20, when a man has relatively low value, unless he's like really handsome or comes from a rich family at that time, you know, he's, he's just low value. He's, he's much lower value than women. So if you're going to be afraid of something, if you, if you have things about you that you don't want to be exposed, you're going to be much more likely to be afraid of women as opposed to a wave, even though a wave, again, is much more dangerous. Uh, 
Although, as I say here, this is one situation where I, I just recommend exposure therapy for no other reason, really. I mean, well, there's a few other reasons, but I, I mean, I've, you know, for the obvious benefit of you can actually go out with women when you talk with them, but also because women are everywhere, you can talk to them every day. So it's something that you can do consistently. So I definitely recommend exposure therapy here if you are afraid of women. And then fear of heights, uh, ledges are an innate fear, perhaps, and it's not even a fear, right? It's just our people's dilate. We're interested. We go, oh, we become a little bit more aware. If you want to say that's a fear, then fine, but we're not really afraid of heights. It's very similar. A lot of overlap here with fear of heights, with fear of guns, fear of knives, fear of being on a subway platform. Same thing with homophobia, like, uh, you know, like real homophobia, not not fake homophobia because <laughs> you think Dylan Mulvaney's a little bit strange and uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? But when guys are afraid of, of gay people it's because it's like, Oh, if I was in a situation where I was close to a gay guy, I might actually want SSD. <laughs> I might actually try to make out with them. It's the same thing. Like, Oh, if I'm on a subway platform and the subway's coming into the station, I might jump in front of the subway. I could just do that. Same thing with gun or knives. Oh, if there's a gun on the table, I could just kill myself. Oh, I'm afraid to be around that gun. Same thing with heights. Oh, if I'm on a bridge and people say it's like a fear of falling, it's really not because it's the, because uh, you have the same fear when you're on a bridge and there's a railing and you'd have to really try to jump off. You're not just going to get pushed off or something. You're afraid to die and you're afraid that you might uh, push yourself or you throw yourself off the ledge because you have really good reasons to kill yourself because you have things in your life where that, that seem insurmountable and you think, oh man, if I, if I just died, then these I wouldn't have these problems. And you may not think this too explicitly. I don't think you need to think this stuff too explicitly without like you get a few tragedies in your life and you don't really know how to manage it and it brings up the psychological issues that are just a mess. Yeah. Like you don't want to be on a subway platform. Doesn't mean, you know, when you get the thought, I want to jump in front of that subway train. I really, I'm, that doesn't mean you really want to die. As I argue, yeah, that means a part of you needs to die. That means it's time to grow and evolve into the a next phase of your development. So you're right in a way, a part of you does need to die, not your entire being. You need to live so you can move on from that and tell us how you did it. You know, it's really important for us. And there's also a fear of murder too. And it overlaps very much with this fear of heights. Like, you know, I mean, I've heard situations, enough situations like this, where some guy goes hiking with his girlfriend who he wants to break up with and she's standing close to the ledge and he's afraid that he's just going to push her off. You know, he gets that like, oh, I could just push her off and end this. It's the same kind of thing. Do you really want to push her off? No. Do you want to break up with her? Yes. Is breaking up the right thing to do? I don't know. You know, it depends on your awareness. That's for another presentation. So takeaways, conclusion. Uh, yeah.
so it's the garden soil analogy. You know, you you want to build this garden where you're able to con- uh, you have this nice, beautiful psychology, but you need to get the soil right. You need to manage fundamental issues. If there's like not enough nitrogen in the soil, I don't care how many seeds you plant. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how much discipline you have. I don't care what your routine is. I don't care how often you listen to Jocko Willink. If there's not enough nitrogen in the soil, nothing is going to grow in your psyche. So CBT isn't wrong. It's simply a poor resolution. It's like telling, it's like Turkish get-ups. It's like telling you to uh, just plant, plant seeds harder. You need to get up at 6 a.m. every day and plant seeds even harder without addressing the nitrogen content of your, of your, of the soil. Yes, exposure is right. Of course, you need to expose yourself to whatever it is you're afraid of, but the question remains, what are you really afraid of? And these incidental things that most exposure therapy works with, like fear of snakes, fear of flying, fear of loud noises, misophonia, or you know, discordant noises, these seem to be mostly incidentals. Obviously, you can't talk about garden soil analogy. No tree can grow to heaven unless it reaches its roots down to hell. Yeah. With exposure therapy, like with fear of woman, for instance, you think, oh, that's, I want a girlfriend. That's reaching to heaven. So I'm just going to focus on that thing. No, there's issues deeper if you've gone a significant amount of time without a girlfriend you're keeping yourself from women in some way you need to manage those issues you need to manage those resistances otherwise you know you you can talk to women and maybe become more comfortable with them and you can go out with them but you know can you really uh i'm, I'm not even sure you can do that to be honest i'm really trying to be charitable you're definitely not going to form healthy relationships with them it's going to be more performative than anything else and that's true for any of these examples. So, yeah, CBT is like a Turkish get-up um, or whatever he's doing here. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, and again, look, like like you can train yourself. This is Alex Honnold, I think, maybe on Half Dome or, or El Capitan, one of those ridiculous uh, rocks that he climbs. By the way, El Capitan... Like the fact that he climbs that without any harnesses, I mean, for me, <laughs> this this lets you know what what room I how wussy I am. I mean, it's it's kind of scary just to look at El Cap because it's so huge. I mean, it's scary to look at. So just to think of climbing it, wow, that's really impressive, you know. But um, anyway, but the point is, is you can train yourself to do what Alex Honnold is doing here. I know you can do it. But are you really going to be a different person? And I know you can train yourself to do whatever this guy's doing here. But are you really going to have balance, strength, flexibility? No, you're going to be good at doing that. Whatever this lunge twist is. So it's not that it's wrong to do that, right? Not not that it's wrong to uh, do exposure therapy with ledges. 
But just again, it's just poor resolution. Exposure therapy is right, but yeah, you know, the fears are relevant. Even when, you know, there's an analogy here with political opinions. Even it's like it's irrelevant. Your political opinions, even if you're correct, it doesn't really matter. So what do you do? Well, first, you got to figure out what your issue is that leads to the symptoms that you see. Uh, well, I would say, you know, if you want, you know, con confront whatever fear that you have. Try to do it. Um, and it may work for you. But if it doesn't work and problems just start showing up in other ways or you get fear in other areas of your life, then that's a good indication that that wasn't really the problem. That was just incidental to a more fundamental issue. So you go to therapy. I'm a great option, obviously. Go to one-on-one -on -one therapy to find the ore of your issue. Bring it up to the surface so you can see it, and then you refine that ore. It's like this gem, and you got to refine it somehow, right? I'm getting that right. And you got to refine it somehow. And that's what you do in group therapy. And you may need to confront, you know, these issues in your life. There, there may be some extra exposure therapy needed, but it's going to go a lot easier because you manage the fundamental issue. If you guys want to know where to start, join animus.com slash book. You learn about anxiety and anger and how these, um, and how these emotions work. Because they work in a certain way, we need to talk about them in a certain way. That's where you have my course. So you join animus.com slash schedule and course. There's still that $100 for the course. There's no sessions, and that doesn't include the group. But if you just want the course, if you just want it to become more familiar with the uh, method that I use, you can go through it yourself. You don't need me to do it. You can go through it with another therapist if you want. I know people have difficulty with that. I'm not saying you have to do it. It's possible. But you can at least go through it yourself on your own so you can get that at yeah, joinanimus.com slash course. Thank you. And I wish you all the pain and joy uh, that comes from uh, looking at your fear for what it really is.